All right, welcome to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name's Dusty Slay, and she is Hannah Hogan. Hannah Hogan. Hannah Hogan. Ah, Hannah Hogan. Hannah Hogan. And we have, we're going to talk about it a little bit in a bit, but we have just had an immigration meeting in Nashville here to talk about Hannah, whether she is going to be a permanent resident or not. Yes, that's right. Um, very exciting. Big teaser. You know, yeah. who knows? Am I let in? And also, we got a hot tip from a listener who who has enjoyed us talking about conspiracies and turned me on to the Theranos scandal, mm. which I don't know if anyone knows about. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk Sounds about... Sounds like a villain from a Marvel movie, really. Does. Well, Thanos. Yeah. Well, Thanos was the... Yeah. Is that Marvel? Yeah. All right. That's the movie we just watched. Thanos was the big bad guy. Yeah, I'm making connections with my mind. Yeah, yes, you are. And um, we got our John Reap coasters here on the table from working with John Reap. John Reap has a thing where I hand out pictures, he hands out coasters. So he's got his picture on the front, his social medias, and then he has a way to get on the mailing list by filling the coaster out and then giving them back to him. So they got that southern hustle. Yeah. Yeah, he's hustling it. <laughs> All right. So, Hannah yesterday uh uh slept most of the day. She did a lot of traveling and uh so she had to uh, sleep. So, you tell them about that. I'm going to try to fix this. Okay. Up. All right. So, uh this weekend I went to North Carolina. I had a show in Asheville, North Carolina on Saturday and I had a show in Charlotte, North Carolina. On Sunday. So I just made a little trip. I went out to the mountains, the Appalachian Mountains. That's where Asheville is. Asheville is uh, a very quirky, fun, hippie town in the Appalachian Mountains. And I mean that quite literally. And I did a uh, fun show at Lazoom with a... Hillary Begley and my friend uh, Blair Nias was on that show too. My my friend Derek used to say about Asheville that he uh, couldn't tell who was just hip and who was homeless. Yeah. Well, I will say though, walking around at least during the day on a Saturday, it seemed like there was a lot of money in there and people wearing people yeah. wearing pastels. Anybody wearing a pastel, I think, has money. I don't know why. Yeah, I think that's the thing about Asheville is you are in the mountains, and the mountains in the past were where the hillbillies lived. Mm-hmm. And now all the money has moved in. So, yeah, yeah. They kind of gentrified the hill folks. Yeah, well, I stayed with a uh, uh, local uh, producer, Melissa Hahn, in, on Saturday night. And she was telling me because she'd been living there for quite a while that Asheville's really changing and becoming gentrified and uh, housing is going up and lots of people are wanting to move there now. So, uh, quite like Nashville, in fact. Yeah. You know, it's just really skyrocketed oh yeah real hot spot yeah so anyway so hannah slept she did a bunch of she did some traveling and i stayed up late and watched some youtube well yeah yeah well well that was we were just talking about this weekend so i did the show on friday and then or saturday and then on sunday night i did a show for a cystic fibrosis fundraiser and i headlined that show and that was really fun and a good time and that was sunday night and then i woke up at 5 a.m on monday to drive home to nashville because we had a meeting with our lawyer apropos our immigration meeting today on tuesday yes, so yes when i got home from that immigration meeting on monday i just fell right asleep yeah and i stayed up and watched watch youtube videos uh which is what i like to do mm-hmm. uh and um I had no shows this weekend. I did a show on Thursday at Zanies. I did a 10-minute set on the Triple Threat weekend. Uh, 
Triple Threat, Renard Hirsch, Flash Flood, and Aaron Weber with host Connor Larson. And uh, I did a hot 10 minutes. Started off talking about how I like to pee outside. Mm. Real hot joke. And uh, But no shows this weekend. My shows got canceled. Me and Hannah were actually s- supposed to do a run, uh, and those shows got canceled. So... I just took it easy, which it was some much-needed rest for me. I've been driving a lot. I've been traveling every weekend uh, this year, and I'm very tired. Literally every weekend you've been on the road. Yeah. It actually felt weird to have you uh, here for a weekend. Yeah, it felt weird to be here. Even though I wasn't even here. And uh, I actually have this weekend off, too, which I was working on getting filled, and then I was also like, you know, I don't mind. My calendar is pretty full after that. I don't mind taking another week and and just hanging out i have a show thursday at zany's uh dusty slay's grand old comedy show which this particular show is going to be a clean 100 percent clean normally my shows are pretty clean anyway but i don't like to advertise them that way because if i want to cuss i'm gonna cuss mm-hmm. if i want to talk about uh masturbation i'm gonna talk about it what i mean i don't but if i want to i will oh okay you know wow, I mean? you're such a clean comedian that I don't even think I've ever heard you say the word masturbation. Yeah, well, I have some jokes about it, but I don't use that word. Yeah. I'm just telling you that I don't advertise myself as clean because if I don't want to be clean, then I won't. Yeah, and sometimes you've been in a situation where you kind of have to get dirty just to wake the audience up. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't Especially happen. when I open for you and I just do a good job. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that doesn't happen often, but once in a while you can tell, you know, especially... If I'm headlining somewhere and I can tell that the audience is not into what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I got to do something because I got to win them over. And you do a couple of dirty jokes, it gets them on board, then you go back to your regular material. And my focus is not, I don't sit there and go, ooh, I got to write, ooh, clean, I got to write clean. That's just how I think. I just, I write things that I think about. I'm not thinking about jokes about sex and I'm not, you know what I mean? Yeah. So why do you need to think about sex when you're having so much good sex here with your right. wife? Well, you got a great, every day, just you got wild. A great wife, just and, wild. Yeah, and you don't know. I mean, with immigration pending, you never yeah. know when she's going to be here. When she's not. yeah, it could go any second. That's really what keeps the romance in yeah. the relationship. Little so Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So you know, we've been doing a lot of traveling, and uh, we're pretty tired. And uh, so I feel, I feel actually the best. This week that I felt in a while because I've just been well rested. Mm. We've been getting ready for this immigration meeting, but I wanted, I had another, um, we'll talk about immigration. Yeah. Had another listener, uh, who said that they really enjoyed us talking about stuff on the road and in comedy. And I'd like to, you know, I'd like to try to dedicate at least a little bit of time each podcast to talking about that because it is something that I care about. I care about comedy. I care about comedy being good. I care about shows being good. I care about uh, respecting an audience. And I I also care about, as an audience member, respecting the comedians. I mean, it's a real, uh, you know, they both play important roles. If we don't have an audience, then we can't do comedy. But if, if comedians... You'd be surprised, though, what happens at some open mics. Yeah. But if comedians also don't respect the audience... Uh, then why would that audience come to see them? I see comics do things like yell at audience members and tell they'll ask for claps and then yell at someone and tell them not to clap in the audience. And I just feel like, you know, if I'm an audience member and I paid money to come see comedy and the comedian is yelling at me, uh, I'm like, well, maybe I don't want to go see comedy anymore. And I want people to want to see comedy. 
And so maybe I'll dedicate a little bit of a time to talk about that. Maybe people don't care what I have to say about it, but maybe they do. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I get a lot of questions from mm, women. I think women wonder about what it's like being a girl on the road a little bit. Totally. Um, And I think definitely a lot of people don't really know how to start that process of being a comedian on the road. And I mean, sometimes you forget that things that are innate to us now weren't something we knew right away and that, you know, the more experienced you become in something, it feels like a second nature. Oh, well you just send your veils or you just get a tape or you get this or you do that. And it seems obvious to us, but it's not obvious to people, especially starting out. And I, you know, I got, you know, I got some help from a manager who's now my manager very early on. And it's really been a huge help to me from transitioning from just being an open mic comedian to a full-time road comic and I also got a lot of help from a comic named Keith Alberstad, who gave me a lot of advice very early on. And I like to say that I'm kind of following the Keith Alberstadt plan as of now. Uh, so how did you do that? How did you move from amateur comedian to going full-time? Well, um, you know, I mean, I, I had talked to Keith, and like he said, there is no clear path. So when I say this, there is no clear path, and that's true. But what I did... Was I mean, the first thing that you have to do is you have to get material that is good. I mean, you can't just... I can't mean, can't state that enough. You do have to be talented. Right. I mean, you just have to have good jokes. I mean, like you... Like, people like to think that it's all about time. It's not all about time. They'll go, I've been doing comedy for a year. I should be on the road. It's like there is no amount of time. If you could be doing comedy for 10 years... But if you don't have 30 minutes of solid material, then you're doing something wrong and you're not going to get on the road. You know, I mean, you got to you got to build up that material. So while you're at an open mic, I would say the first thing to do is to make sure that you have a solid five minutes. Once you get a solid five minutes, then you can start doing showcases around town. And then from the five minutes next, you want to get 10 minutes. And then from the 10 minutes, you want to get 15. And when you get 15 solid minutes, then you can start to do stuff with a club. If you have a local club, try to do their open mic. Try to get guest spots. Try to become a host. And from hosting, you use that 15 minutes. And then once you're hosting, you know, you'll, you'll try to write new stuff. But be always be writing. Always be writing. I mean, Always be writing, but I will add a caveat. Um, and everyone's journey is different, but I remember, uh, when I was starting standup, I started when I was 26, I came out of the sketch and the improv and acting world. And I constantly felt like, you know, I wasn't good enough. My, my existing jokes weren't good enough and you know, they weren't, but the problem that I faced my first three years was that I wasn't trying to focus on getting that first five minutes or that first 10 minutes. I was always sort of feeling inadequate and writing constantly. And so I had different jokes, literally every show I did. And I remember a friend of mine in Toronto said, why don't you just try to write five minutes and just focus on that instead of, you know, trying to make some loose thing better, just figure out what does work and, and work on that and polish that. And, you know, back to what I said about not always knowing things, things aren't always obvious. That really wasn't obvious to me. And looking right. back, I'm like, how was that not obvious to me? But I did spend my first three years just being terrible because yeah. I was always writing instead of focusing my writing and my performance on one set that I could really, you know, show to someone and present. Yeah, and I, and 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 I think that's the tough part is it's like if you're in a small scene and you know you have 
you know, two or three open mics a week. And every week it's the same people at the open mic. You don't want to keep working on this five minutes. You don't want to keep working on the same thing. So I get it. But no joke is ever complete. I mean, I got jokes that I've been doing for a long time and suddenly I'll be telling it and I'll find a new tag. And then the whole joke will become funnier. It will change. So jokes are never done. But I mean, you got to understand that it's not about the other comics in the room. It's not about the other comics. It's not about the staff at the comedy club. If they've heard your jokes a million times, it's okay. Uh, what matters is that you have a new, fresh audience and that you're building up material. You always want to be building material, but I mean, you gotta you gotta get strong stuff. You gotta have a set that where people say, "Hey, you want to do my show?" That you can come and you can do the show and then do the show well. It, it, it it's one thing to just, "Oh, I'm doing a bunch of shows around town," but are you doing them well? Are people leaving that show going, "Man, that person was really funny." Because that's what you want to do. You want to be really good. Mm-hmm. Every opportunity that you get, you want to be good, especially if you're in a big city. I mean, you have no idea who's out in the audience. And I don't mean somebody that's going to make you famous. But so when I was in New York for the short time that I was there, a month, I mean, what I would do is I would go to the open mics and I would go, you know, I was trying out very little material because I was in New York to try to get on shows. So I would do really well at the open mic, and then somebody would be like, hey, I book a show here. You want to do my show? And then I'd be like, yeah, and then I'd go do it, and then I'd get other bookings from that. So it's like you could show up, and there could be five people in the room, but one of those five people could be someone that books a better show. Yeah, and you know, I would like to say, too, is it's tough when you start in a city, especially if you start in a big city like I did in Toronto. People will always remember you how you started. And, you know, in my case, I was a drunken 22 year old comedy groupie and there's still people in Toronto that won't, uh, pay any attention to me or, or get, or care at all what I'm doing or book me on their shows. And I mean, I'd like to say, uh, it's, you know, it's not fair, but I mean, it, the reality is if you start in a city, they're going to, there, there's always going to be a little bit of a stigma to however you started. So moving to another city is helpful, especially if you spend those first few years in that initial city getting good. Absolutely. Like that's sort of what happened to me in uh, Nashville is I spent five years doing comedy, uh, and not just learning how to do comedy, but learning how to be professional, learning how to not sleep around with male comedians, but all that stuff I think is important to mention about girl comics too, is like the way you yeah, present, we don't need to, I'm just, I just think it's all, it's, I think it's all part of it, you know? And I, I think it's, to know how many other comics you were, you slept just with. one. Honestly, I've never even slept with anybody else. I only made out with him and I lost my virginity to you. It's weird. It's weird that I was 31 and lost my virginity, but it's just, that's how it happened. And, but I will say, you know, it's, it's like, if you are feeling stifled in a city, especially in your, if you're in a smaller market, you can leave. And, and in fact, you can just sort of think about your, your whole journey as in a long process. And you can be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, do open mics in this city. I'm going to find my five to 10 minutes. I'm going to get good so that when I move to another city, I know how to present myself. And I, I just remember being in Toronto and seeing girls come in from different cities, seeing girls come in from Montreal or Vancouver or the East coast or Calgary. And they rose so much faster than me because they were more mature uh, because they'd already spent a few years in a different city 
and they had their five or 10 minutes. They didn't act a fool, you know? So, you know, you can do that. And, you know, sometimes you don't get love in your, in the town you're in and sometimes you can move and get better. Well, that, yeah. I mean, it's the old saying, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Exactly. So it's like people do remember you. So it's like, it is good to, like I started in Charleston, uh, which I love. And, uh, the comedy scene was really small, but we had a great improv scene. And then a lot of us improvisers started a comedy scene, a stand-up scene. So we had this great tight group. So it was, it was, it was great. But, uh, the same way, I mean, when I moved to Nashville, I moved to Nashville and recorded my first album almost immediately because I had the material already. Mm -hmm. I had 55 minutes already. And then, you know, two years later I was able to create another one. And uh, now I'm struggling to create a third one, but um, moving helped me a bunch. And, uh, so, I mean, it doesn't have to be New York. It doesn't have to be L.A. It doesn't have to be Nashville, but just moving to a new city, meeting new people, living new experiences helps you write jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only reason I mentioned just because I, I'm given a female comedian perspective on this is... Again, and I've, I also saw this a lot as I would see new girls come into the scene, whether it's stand-up or improv. And, and it's, it can be overwhelming for a girl because you're a girl in a sea of men and, and in a sea of men that, you know, range from great guys to degenerate snakes that right. you should definitely stay away from. And if you're, if you're a girl and you want a lot of guys to stay away from you, you could always just be on stage and tell a joke and say, me and my boyfriend – uh, because nothing, <laughs> I assure you that does not work actually. No, but, but, but I think if, especially no, if, you, no, if you're I a young mean, girl in I mean, uh, comics, I've seen disappointment just come right across okay. their face. The moment a girl on stage goes, my boyfriend. Yeah. And they're like, ah, it's like, you feel like this oh, yeah. air just let out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Unfortunately, men seem to respect other men than uh, women themselves to stay away from them. But I just mean, if you're a young girl and you, you go into a comedy scene, you're probably drinking more when you're, you know, 25 and under than you are hopefully when you're older, you know, the way you behave and, and who you befriend, uh, is definitely a part of who you become your comedic identity in that city. And I think, uh, the best advice I would say is befriend other girls in comedy because they're going to be uh, probably a lot nicer to you than guys, even though it seems like guys are being more friendly and they may have an alternative uh, thing. And yeah, just be careful who you hang out with and who you sleep with. I'm yeah. not saying don't sleep with people, but I'm saying be careful because but, that affects your reputation a lot. But just in general, it's a good idea to not sleep with people that you work with. Yeah. Just in general. Yeah. But let's be honest. Uh, it's honest. hard to avoid. Let's be honest. We're all doing it. I mean, I, I literally am with you. Right. We're all doing it. But in general, it's a good idea to not yeah. just go around sleeping. Unless you know he play. is your one true love, right. your, your love of your life. All right. But this is. I've had about three of those. So this is know. what I'll say. I mean, with. Um, See, I'm really off track now. You took a you took a digestive enzyme and yeah, you really got lost off, it. But I got off track. You're... Oh, I'm sorry. I know I, I've made it into some weird projection of my own young identity as a comedian. But I do think do you not think that those are important things? I think like and and it can be extended to not even just being a female comedian, but being a young comedian. You know, you face so much rejection from your peers, from comedy bookers, from agents, uh, showcases that you want that you don't get or the opportunities, you know, and you kind of, 
the more you do it, the realize, unfortunately, but, that is rejection yeah. is part and parcel but, of the whole process. Just, this, we're just, just you talking. can't let it each get, let's get just you down. talk about from open mic to getting into it. Okay. I, I mean, like to talk about the psychology, but I understand. Right. I mean, we're just, just talking about like how someone would go from doing open mics to actually getting on real shows. And I, and I think a, a mistake a lot of people make is that they want to walk into a room and they want to be everyone's friend. And it's like, if you don't know everyone, chances are every comic in that room doesn't want to be your friend. I mean, I am one of the nicest people in general, but if you're a brand new comic and I'm, I'm in a room that I've done a bunch of times, I'm not trying to make friends with everybody that walks in the room because... There's new comics all the time. People are always signing up for an open mic, and then they go up, they bomb, and uh, and then they go change their Facebook status to comedian. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm nice to everyone, and I I want m- people to do comedy, but you know, I do comedy. I mean, I am a comedian, and so you know, I don't I don't think someone just getting up on the stage is the same as what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? So I want people to take it seriously. I want people to work. Some, for some reason, it's cool in the comedy world amongst people to not take it seriously. Now, if you just want to do it as a hobby, that's fine. Uh, but you're a hobbyist, and that's what you are. But if you want to be a comedian, uh, take it seriously. I mean, obviously, it's still comedy, so don't take it seriously like you're a Wall Street banker or a medical doctor. But... Uh, you know, if you want to get good at anything, uh, you know, practice well. What do they say? Uh, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta be doing it well. You gotta be writing and then performing, and also videotape your sets, audio record your sets, and then listen to them, mm-hmm. watch them. That helps you get better at comedy. That helps you move into the next next phase and then once you get your five minutes down then you uh, what i'm saying about the friends though nothing makes you more friends in comedy like being funny yeah every open mic i go to if i don't know people in the room i don't try to make friends with people until after the show i just stand off by myself and i just wait and i know that when i go up if i do well i'm gonna make friends in that room because people want to see that you're good they want to I don't know. I mean, once they see you're good, they, they, they'll be your friend. Yes. So work on your comedy. Unless you're a slutty female comedian. Right. But work on your comedy and everything else will come from that. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about getting paid. I mean, a lot of people are like, they're, they, 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 they want to, you know, I used to drive to clubs, still will if I need to, uh, drive to clubs, do guest spots, do open mics, just so a booker can see me perform live. Uh, you don't make money doing that. And sometimes you you may make a little, but it's not going to be a lot of money. And and if you and if you look at it logically, a lot of it's not going to make sense. You're like, I'm going to drive two hours to make fifty dollars, and and then I'm going to get a hotel that costs a hundred and then drive home. Logically, that doesn't make sense. Financially, that doesn't make sense. But it's an investment. So you made a small investment into this that's going to potentially blossom into a gig that you can do. 
once or twice every year. And then you just want to stack as many of those as you can. But we should also add that we're speaking from a perspective of road comedians. I think there's a totally different approach to comedy if you want to stay in, you know, one of the hubs like L.A. or Toronto. To, or, a, to a degree. But I think... But those that, people aren't going on the road, some of them. But I think the even e, even the all things still apply. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you got to put in your time. you yeah. got to put in the work. A lot of things are not going to make sense. If you're in a big city like New York and L.A., I haven't lived there, but I've talked to a lot of people. Mm. I've, I've been in those rooms. I mean, what's important is to uh, be around, be seen, support the club, do your open mic, and then stay for the rest of the show. I, when I was in New York for that month, I would sit in the front row and watch comics. No way I'd be doing that now, but I'm just saying – People took notice. The bookers were like, man, I appreciate you sitting up front and laughing the whole time. You want to do my show on Saturday? And I would get booked by things like that. I mean, people like you just being nice. Yeah, and the great thing about being on the road, and uh, I'll, I guess I'll speak to this, is so I lived in Toronto for five years. I didn't even have a, a driver's license. I never really left the city. And the shows I did leave the city for was for a bunch of other white Canadians, you know, and when I moved down south, whoa, you know, it was a totally different world down here. And it's really helped me as a comedian tremendously because, you know, I thought I had 15 minutes when I moved down here. And then all of a sudden you're performing in front of southern people, uh, uh, all black crowds, uh, you know, city crowds, rural crowds. And you really realize, you know, how far your material takes you when you get outside your comfort zone. Right. So I would recommend going on the road to, to comics, even if you're based in a big city, I do think it's, it's really helpful to get on the road, not just to perform in front of different kinds of audiences, but also just to do longer sets because I have learned how to write on the road in a way that yeah. I never really knew how, when I was only doing, you know, 10 minute spots here and there in Toronto. And, and no matter what your, your political beliefs, your religious beliefs, like being able to entertain the person that's opposite of you is really helpful. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, and, and, and this idea that, uh, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm this kind of person. I only want to perform for people like me. I need to just find my audience. If you can, that's great. If you yeah. can be a YouTube star, just find that audience. Fantastic. But if not, uh, every people are still people, whether they believe what you believe or not. They're still people. And I ultimately, I think, you know, conservatives and liberals both want the best for everyone. They just have different ideas of how to get there. So they're still people. Mm -hmm. And if you can entertain them, that's fantastic. Why would you not want to entertain? I just hear people say things like that. Like yeah. If they live in a liberal city, they go, oh, I'm going to go out to all these rednecks out here in the country. Or if you're you know, a comic from Alabama, you're like – you view the city as, oh, these are all these liberals in there and they're not – they're going to be offended at all my jokes. Well, you know, your environment does shape you. I mean I, I discovered – I talked on the last podcast. You know, yeah. I, I – No question. But what I'm saying is, is that, yes, your environment shapes you, but – Going to these other places and performing for these other people helps you grow. Yes, if you go to a different place and you bomb. That's not bad. You you don't you don't say to yourself, "Oh, I bombed. I'll never go back and do that again." Mm -hmm. You go, "Well, I got to figure out how to make them laugh." I mean, I'm born in Alabama, lived in Charleston, South Carolina, now in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm as southern as you can get, but 
you go, I still have trouble in some of the most redneck rooms. Yeah. Uh, when I, I did Johnson City, Tennessee, I know a lot of my friends have done that comedy zone. It may, have be, it may be closed now, uh, but I know a lot of my friends have done that. And the first weekend I did there, I was coming out of Charleston. I had won two of the, the stand-up competitions. I was voted best local comic. I went to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. You're getting too big for your britches. I won. I won two competitions in Charlotte. I was like, I'm untouchable. <laughs> and then I went to Jackson, uh, what I say, Johnson City, Tennessee, and I bombed four shows in a row. Uh, and I was like, okay, I, I got to work on some stuff. So I had to come up with a way to be able to entertain people like that. And because those people are not bad, they just like different things. Mm-hmm. They like different jokes. And it's okay that they like different jokes. Because I always say, if people don't like my jokes, you know, if you're in an audience and you don't like my jokes, I don't understand it. But it's okay. Yeah. And um, I, I think a, a big lesson I learned just being on the road and basically making my whole life stand-up comedy in the last two years in a way that I didn't when I was in Toronto because I was an actor and writer and, you know, just doing other things. But now I've been full-time comedy and, you know, you get so many sets in and you just realize that bombing or having lackluster sets is a part of it. And, you know, to relish those sets and to think about them after they happen and to understand, you know, what happened and what went wrong and and also to be at peace with it because sometimes it ain't just going to be your show. They, yeah. they just not into you, you know, and it's just Absolutely. the way it is. And, and there's not much you can do, but if you can shorten the distance between bad sets and good sets and have mostly good sets, you know, then you right. start getting paid. And that's what being a professional is. You're being paid because you're consistently good. Right. All right. Well, we got to, exactly we got to talk right. about Thanos, move, move on to some different things. Um, but I will say if you, if you're a comic uh, or thinking about being a comic and you have some questions on that. Uh, feel free to hit me up on my Facebook. That's Dusty Slay. Uh, Twitter at Dusty Slay. Instagram at Dusty Slay. I respond to all of those. And also you can email me. That's Dusty.Slay at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, if you're a female comedian and, you know, you've dated a guy for, you know, it was a one-night stand turned into a two-week stand and you're feeling a little harshed out in the scene, give me a shot. I've yeah. been there. I know what that's like. Totally. And, I, you know, I don't know that I'll respond to the message depending on what I got going on, but I will address it on a podcast. So you can email me any ideas that you have that you'd like to hear about. I mean, maybe you have a specific question and I can address it for more people. All right, so let's get into the meeting that we had today. Oh, my, our immigration meeting. Yeah, we had an immigration meeting today. Let's try to start to just run through this. So uh, I applied for a green card. Hannah, my wife, uh, who is also the co-host, is Canadian, Canadian, if you don't know. Yeah. And we're married. Yeah. Uh, a real marriage. And, and then, in fact, that's what we had to prove today. Right. Was that we were... What what is called a, a good faith marriage? Not like a, a listener that I or a, a follower that I had on Twitter that uh, I read some of his messages, and he was he. That's the guy. He said, "Ice, come get my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a fake marriage. Ice, please come take my wife. She's not real." <laughs> I mean, I feel bad for him. I do feel bad for him, but. Uh, uh, that's not the situation that we have. No, but the so there's different kinds of ways to apply for a green card. You can apply. I could have applied as just a entertainer applying based on my merit as a performer. But uh, we got married last year, and uh, we said, okay, let's apply for uh, for this green card. And so we applied last summer, and then it's been being processed ever since then. 
And um, in preparation for the green card, um, well, I had to get together a lot of papers and proof that we were together, like our apartment lease and our bank statements together. Right. And and uh, I gave this particular project to Dusty, which was creating a photo album of our uh, relationship since we started dating. And I knew this would be the job for Dusty. And a lot of people don't know, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty crafty <laughs> and uh, I get into it. So Dusty had the weekend off and he was... I'm, I was a, I'm just... an artist. When I was a kid, I used to take, uh, people always think that I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm destroying G- uh, uh, toys, but the little plastic army men, I had different ones and I would cut them up and then I could glue, I would take a hot glue gun and glue them back together different ways. And then I would paint them. I wasn't creating some weird cyborg things like in the movie Toy Story that kid Sid. I wasn't doing that. I was finding a way to create my own type of figurines. I'm into it. So, into so I gave. I used to write letters to toy companies and ask them to create my toys. There's no one quite like Dusty, and this is why I married him. He's so sweet, and he's um, just a joy to be around. But so I said, okay, Dusty, we have to prove our relationship. So we have to gather all these photos of the time we started dating, and and we and so we really. I said, I said to Dusty, if they don't believe we're married, they'll definitely think that we're gay. <laughs> right. <laughs> because well, the, the whole thing was yeah, just too a, much. We typed out. We separately typed out our own stories, our love stories of how we met and how Dusty courted me and then came up to Canada and, and wooed we, me. And we had some, I took emails that I sent in between the time that we met and the time that we actually started dating. I, I printed out all the emails that I had sent to her, our email correspondence, which, uh, they did not read. They didn't Uh, actually, when I was showing her though, she said, Oh goodness. (laughs) She was like, she's like, Oh, you guys are like, we're artists. Okay. If you give us a little art project, we're going to go all the way. But it was really fun though, because we spent last week kind of getting, getting this package together and I got to write my story of meeting Dusty and moving down south and Dusty wrote his and it was fun. And we put together a bunch of our photos and uh, the photo albums on computers now, I mean the photo program that I have, because I took a lot of these pictures with my phone, Mm. I plug them in and it tells us where we were at and what date, which is crazy, yeah, but really helpful. Yeah, so we had the interview today, and we we went in with our lawyer, and we and she just asked us a series of questions, and she went over our application that we had sent in, and you know I'm nervous because I'm the one kind of going in, and I said you know it feels like the way you feel like in Canada the legal drinking age was 19, right, and in and it and it feels like when you're like 19 you suddenly become of of actual legal drinking age and you get carted at a bar and they look at your ID and you know you're old enough like you know that it's not a fake ID but you still feel nervous that's how i felt like even though i know our marriage is real and you know this is the real deal like you still feel like somehow they're going to call you out or yeah i mean you're being tested yeah so they're asking you questions easy questions that you know the answer to but you also feel like now the pressure is on yeah what's your dad's name and i'm like (laughs) yeah and then they ask me you know what's dusty's middle name when was he born and have i met his parents and so they're just asking so i was very serious i was like very business hannah i wore a blazer you know i curled my hair i was very serious but dusty i mean the things you learn about your spouse in different situations dusty was just 
being good old Dusty in that room. I was like, making jokes. He was making jokes. He was telling this these long stories. I mean, our lady that was interviewing us was a Southern lady. Yeah, I was like, I know this lady. I mean, I don't know her, <laughs> but I'm like, I've been to church with this lady. Before. Oh, Dusty was just. He, I mean, he was he was just promoting his comedy shows and showing her picture. I mean, Dusty, the photo album he showed for our green card interview had like last comic standing. Dusty, yeah. like basically Dusty, any opportunity Dusty has to promote his comedy. I mean, he's going to take it. Yes. So, I mean, it was like part immigration meeting, part just Dusty Slate promo. Yeah. The, and, and she uh, and she took our tax returns. Yeah. And then she said, how do you support yourself? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't laugh. <laughs> I was like, Dusty. <laughs> you even said, well, she has money in Canada. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, I've made more money this year. I'm doing better. I'm doing better. <laughs> It's getting better. Uh, I was on Jimmy Kimmel, okay? (laughs) But, uh, so, yeah, and so we got it. We got got a green card, which is a great relief because uh, if I, you know, I... My my Tennessee driver's license is only as good as or is only extended to my work permits here. So my my work permit is expiring in uh, this fall. So I was like, oh my gosh, if I don't get, I you just didn't know when the green card interview was going to happen, and we only got the notification four weeks ago. You know, so before that, I was totally in the dark. I had no idea how long it would take, and you know, given the state of you know immigration in America, you just I don't even know. Like, you know, I just don't know about this stuff. So so it's a re- it's really great relief. And also just a great relief that and they asked, I get to stay with my boo. They asked Hannah several questions. I know that the lady had to ask these questions, but they were questions like, do you plan on being a terrorist? Yeah. Have you ever been a terrorist? Are you a communist? Stuff like that. And, uh, yeah. But we were approved. Yeah, we were approved. We were approved. So yeah. Hannah's going to get to stay. And I, I think we were approved just because of Dusty's charm. I mean, Dusty went in there like... Dusty went in there like he was like, you know, trying to get booked on a show. Right, exactly. I went in there and I treated that like an open mic. I was like, you know what? I got to make some friends in here. Yeah. And, and you know, it's sort of, you know, you, you did, you were very charming. And see, I just didn't want to try to slide in there and be too charming. I, sometimes I feel like when I get too talkative, I, it's, it's yeah, annoying. The, the important thing is, is that when you're talking to someone that, uh, is has some kind of control over your life mm. as this woman had of our life. You don't want to joke so much that you reveal it. Like I, I've heard that, a, that a, a policeman pulled the lady over. She had a, she had a tag that was out of state and the lady had said, Oh, I just moved here. And then, so they just got to talking and having conversation. And throughout the conversation, the lady revealed that she had been here like six months and mm. he was like, oh, you've been here six months. You mm. should have had this tag updated by now. Yeah. Here's a ticket. That kind of thing. So you don't want to reveal too much. Yeah. But you want to make some jokes. You want them to know that you're a person. Well, I feel like you were in more of a position to be chill because right. you're you're the petitioner. Right. She's Southern. I'm Southern. We're like, hey, but we got, we share. It was, it was interesting because we were, it was, we were there at 7 a.m. in the morning and um, other families were there, you know, presumably to get their green cards too. And, you know, you saw some Mexican people and then. We saw two white couples, too, and we were like, we were sort of expecting to see, I mean, you know, people of color. I mean, I, I don't know. That's probably a little prejudicial of me to say, but but that is what you expect. Uh, and But I was like, wow, there's a lot more white couples in here. And then um, it was interesting because cause, cause our lawyer warned us, sometimes they take you into separate rooms, 
but normally they don't, especially right. if they think everything's fine. Yeah, we fine. had a lawyer. We took some big guns in there with us. Yeah, too. but we saw couples being taken into separate rooms. Yeah. And that was kind of scary. Yeah, we had some representation. We were like, nah, yeah. We got, we got. But they said, I mean, they told, uh, my, our lawyer told us, like, they've already decided if you're going to. Usually, like you mess, you can mess it up in the interview, but they've they've looked at your case as yeah. long as it's a lot of, to do with criminality. Well, we just want like some that. company in there with us. Yeah, you know? but it is weird to like. I don't know. I just empathized with those couples, you know. With I the, like with, to roll in with a good Southern lawyer with a seersucker suit on. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. It did. It did feel good. Well, you know, I've just been on top of all this stuff. Yeah. You know, I I don't mess around. I'm too Canadian to mess around with uh, with things like this. I've never done anything illegal, especially regarding. My immigration. Yeah. But we got approved. Yay. And that's big. We high fived. And uh, all right. So on to Theranos. Okay. All right. So Theranos. This is our conspiracy. So this are, and I don't even know if this is so much of a conspiracy as it is just a scandal that went down. My friend messaged me last night about it. I had not heard about it. And so uh, Theranos is a company that uh, does blood tests. And they advertised that they do faster, cheaper, and easier blood tests. They said that instead of having all these tubes and all these machines, they could just take a little prick of your blood and give you an accurate uh, blood test to find out if you have diseases or different sorts Cutting of Cutting edge like technology for health. Cutting edge, groundbreaking. They were like, no one is doing this. It was like too good to be true type thing. It was also very glamorous because the CEO of this company was a very attractive blonde lady who was, I think, like 20 years old. Elizabeth Holmes, Mm -hmm. who is the youngest self-made female billionaire. Mm. She was worth up to $7 billion at one point. Mm. Her company was valued at $9 billion. I mean, this was big time. And they had, um, I don't even know what that word was. Oh, the nanotainer was the equipment that they used to get the blood. But, and they weren't, they weren't FDA approved through some kind of thing that they had gotten certain machines that didn't require FDA approval. So they weren't FDA approved. I'm a little sketchy about the FDA from time to time with stuff. I mean, it's food and drug administration. I've heard it said that they administer you the food, then they administer you the drugs. Uh, because our food's terrible. The food that we're eating is awful. Uh, there's no, you know, there's no conspiracy behind that. It, well, well, maybe there is, but our food's awful. And uh, Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett uh, invested a hundred million dollars into this company. That's the sketchiest thing when you find out. You know, most of the employees—they're not medical employees. They're employed by the military, uh, which is fine. I like the military, but if it's a medical type thing you would think you want medical employees it has a bit of a military industrial complex right vibe to right. it though i'm all about the military love them but i want medical people in my medical facilities you know mm-hmm. what i mean i don't want doctors on the battlefield do you mm-hmm. know what i mean uh well we need some i guess so what was the scandal the it scandal came, oh sorry go ahead it, it came out that what they were saying it was doing in fact they they right. weren't doing it they were saying it's too good to be true turns out it was. Yeah. It was, and it didn't actually. They didn't. They weren't actually using the machines that they said they were using. Uh, a lot of times, they would take the blood and then they would dilute the blood with water and then uh, test Use, it using a regular tester that was already on the market. Some right. other company's product. Right. And 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 then they were getting inaccurate results. Yeah. So they were making billions of dollars off of this, 
And it wasn't even doing what they said they were going to be doing. I mean, this lady was hailed as this great entrepreneur. But turn, what's so sketchy is how do you get away with this for so long with so much money? I mean, Warren Buffett. I mean, this is maybe the richest man in the world, at least one of the richest men in in the world, one of the richest. Uh, I, I I can't see – I mean, maybe $100 million is not that big of a deal to him. But I can't see a guy being that good at investing and then investing in something like this that is not really Maybe they tested. had the idea before they had the technology. I think it speaks to how powerful a good idea is. I mean, because this sounds great. You just need a little – tick of blood and then someone can order their own blood tests and find out if they're healthy i mean if that was true that's a great technology to have so maybe it's more so because this was in 2003 when she started this i think maybe it's more like this is my idea i want money for people to give me so i can make this happen but it sounds like maybe she got the money and then couldn't actually figure it out yeah it turns out you know now she's only worth like four billion you know so she really took a hit but i think she'll feel like she'll be able to survive off, off four billion. Yeah. But, uh, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. You know. But she, uh, I think she's under a lot of scrutiny now. I mean, the company is really struggling. And uh, well, it doesn't help that again the name of her company sort of sounds like a villain. Well, they say it's a. Uh, it's a mixture of a mixture of therapy and diagnosis. Yeah. From the Theranos. Theranos. Yeah. Theranos sounds sketchy though, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but you know, you got to think that all these big major companies uh, in Silicon Valley or pharmaceutical companies, they all got to be doing some shady stuff. You know, it's all yeah. about presentation. You know, if you can, right. if you can look shiny and you've got some cool, uh, you know things behind your name and and you get the right backers i mean we didn't really learn about where she came from maybe she she went to stanford i'm assuming she probably comes from an affluent family maybe she already had families that had connections that could kind of yeah hook it up i mean i i don't know i mean i watch it this is a bit of a letdown i think of a conspiracy but it's worth checking out on your own just go to youtube and and you know just type in there's a lot of people talking about it i mean a lot of uh, what most people view as credible sources are talking about this. This is not something. Actually, you can't even find a lot of the the weird conspiracy theorists that I like talking about this. Well, I mean, it's it's sort of more just a shady business venture yeah. than a conspiracy theory. Right. I mean, because she's been outed and taken a hit for it. It's not like she's still thriving and people are using her technology and getting hurt. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories I would like to talk about. We know that, but we're gonna slowly get into that. Mm-hmm. But we had we had more things going on this time. Yeah, we did. We had a big immigration meeting. This we're recording this on Tuesday, but this is gonna come out on Wednesday, so people will be hearing this Wednesday, June fifth, and uh, Thursday, June seventh. I have a show at Zany's at seven thirty uh, with Rick Roberts. Who I was on Rick Roberts' podcast, and he uh, really got a lot of response from that. He has the School of Laughs podcast. He teaches comedy courses. Also, we're going to have Ed Wiley on, a goat farmer from Georgia. He has six kids, and he has a goat farm. And um, Michael we'll, Wyman. We'll have Michael Wyman, who I hosted an open mic with for a while. She's a restaurant owner, uh, mom, wife here in town. And really running Nashville shows, we're running too. running a lot of Nashville shows. And then we have uh, Brandon Imes, whose last name is spelled like I, James, but it's pronounced Imes like the cat food. That's how he likes to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very funny guy coming up to do the show uh, from Huntsville. Did I say that already? And uh, so that's going to be a hot show. Clean. It's going to be a clean. clean. I like to emphasize that because this is why. Because I think there's a lot of super cheesy clean comedy out there. 
And that's not what this show is going to be. And I just want people to know because there are people out there that are like, I'd like to see some comedy, but I don't want to hear such content, you know, and I get that. Mm-hmm. And I think that there should be comedy for you. Now, I think also there's a lot of comedy that I like that's super dirty and I love it. And I want that to exist as well. But I just want to create a couple of different things. I want to do some different things with my show. I want to provide different things for people. Yeah, and uh, just going back to when I moved to Tennessee uh, and being influenced by Dusty, my husband, who was a clean comedian, I, and under the influence of Somewhat, our, somewhat clean. I don't well, like you, to... you're definitely not dirty. You're yeah. not a dirty comic. Yeah. You don't use language at all, and you're very particular with uh, your I content. just don't want people thinking I got no edge. No, you're edgy. Baby, I wouldn't marry you if you I'm were like edgy. A, I like to say I'm like the edgy guy in church. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you're, yeah, I mean, you're a good comic. You know, Nate Bargatze is clean, too. I yeah. mean, no one thinks of him as, like, not being edgy, you know? But probably no one even thinks of him as a clean comic, you know, because when it's good comedy, you're just, you're yeah. like, this is great. But I'd be, um, be talking about weed sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Things. I'd be mixing it up. I'd put drugs. And up. jerking it. That's yeah. how you describe master. And cranking one out. But um, but when I went on the road and I and I was trying to get booked initially on the road down here, I realized pretty quickly uh, that if I worked clean, there was more opportunities. So for the first two years, I I mean I still Always. try I still try to work clean, but I but I, I mean that's a conversation know. for another podcast. But I would like to talk about that as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be a good but good topic. But that saying, um, yeah, you know. If you, if you get in the habit of writing clean, it's easier. But if you are just always letting yourself throw in some cuss words every single time you, you write a joke, I mean, that's just going to be the comedi- comedian you evolve into. You don't want it's to your throw choice, away but... cuss words in there. Yeah. Some yeah. people say... Because sometimes you'll show up to a show, and this has happened to me tons of times, where you show up, you're booked for a week, and they're like, oh, it has to be clean. Yeah. Oh, it has to be clean? Oh, okay. Some, some Damn. People, some sometimes people that's like, hard if you if you literally only have... Like, I've, I've met comics that like barely can scrape together five minutes of clean comedy. Yeah, and some people are like, well, that's just how I talk. And it's like, yeah. well, that's fine if that's how you talk. Yeah. But you're performing on stage, yeah. so figure out a way to not do that. Yeah, or just decide, okay, then I'm all in. I'm Doug Stanhope. That's how, that's how I'm going to be. Well, don't decide that if you want. I mean, because... But I mean, it's, but it, but I mean, some people just are those people, and that's fine. And like, there's obviously... I mean, it does really well. I mean, pretty much everyone I work with is dirty. You know, headliners, everything. But uh, it's harder to work clean, and I think it can make you a, a better writer if you focus more on, um, you know, whatever. I don't know. You can always add in cuss words to a clean set. Yeah, you can always add in a good old pussy. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And and um, we're about to wrap this up, but I I had talked about doing some stories with my dad, but I lost that audio. I had my dad record a couple of stories, and then I lost that audio. So I'm going to... And, but, you know, and I have my mom's audio, but because my parents are divorced, I can't air my, my mom's audio and not air my dad's audio. So I have to go back and get that recorded from him. Uh, that's <laughs> what happens when you're from divorced family. Yeah. Uh, so we got to get that done. And, uh, but I yeah, can... if you have any questions about comedy or anything, or you want us to talk about a particular conspiracy theory, we're into it. Yeah. Hit us up on Facebook. Uh, go to uh, go to iTunes if you listen to this from iTunes. Give this podcast a review. Give it five stars and uh, give it a nice review. Yeah, and tell me what I am at, out of ten. Seven, yeah. eight, and then nine. Um, I know I'm not nine. Sorry, you're ten, babe. 
email I us. Take my wife. Uh, uh, yeah, email us dusty.slay at gmail.com uh, or hit us up on any of the social medias and let us know what you'd like to hear, what what you want to be talking about, even what you don't like. If you don't like something, let me know. Just not on a public forum. Yeah, and if you don't like me, just don't say that. Like right. we we want it more dusty. Don't say that. Maybe just message him privately and he'll talk to me. Yeah. Dusty can give me notes, but, you know, he has to sit me down and make me a cup of tea before I accept them. Right. But we had a good time. (laughs) Yeah. And Hannah gets to stay. Yeah, I get to stay in America. All right. All right. Thanks for listening.